0: Section 8 of The Life of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Charlemagne by Notger the Stammerer. Translated by Arthur James Grant. Section 8. Book 2, Part 4. It happened, too, that on his wanderings, Charles once came unexpectedly to a certain maritime city of Narbonensian Gaul. When he was dining quietly in the harbor of this town, it happened that some Norman scouts made a piratical raid. When the ships came in sight, some thought them Jews, some African or British merchants. But the most wise Charles, by the build of the ships and their speed, knew them to be not merchants, but enemies. And said to his companions, These ships are not filled with merchandise, but crowded with our fiercest enemies. When they heard this, in eager rivalry, they hurried in haste to the ships. But all was in vain, for when the Northmen heard that Charles the Hammer, as they used to call him, was there, fearing lest their fleet should be beaten back or even smashed in pieces, they withdrew themselves by a marvelously rapid flight not only from the swords, but even from the eyes of those who followed them. The most religious, just, and devout Charles had risen from the table and was standing at an eastern window. For a long time he poured down tears beyond price, and none dared speak a word to him. But at last he explained his actions and his tears to his nobles in these words. Do you know why I weep so bitterly, my true servants? I have no fear of those worthless rascals doing any harm to me, but I am sad at heart to think that even during my lifetime they have dared to touch this shore, and I am torn by a great sorrow because I foresee what evil things they will do to my descendants and their subjects.' may the protection of our master christ prevent the accomplishment of this prophecy may your sword tempered already in the blood of the Nordostrani, resist it the sword of your brother carloman will help which now lies idle and rusted not for want of spirit but for want of funds and because of the narrowness of the lands of your most faithful servant arnulf If your might wills it, if your might orders it, it will easily be made bright and sharp again. These, in the little shoot of Bernard, form the only branch that is left of the once prolific root of Lewis to flourish under the wonderful growth of your protection. Let me insert here, therefore, in the history of your namesake, Charles, an incident in the life of your great-great-grandfather Pippin, which perhaps some future little Charles or Lewis may read and imitate. When the Lombards and other enemies of the Romans were attacking them, they sent ambassadors to this same Pippin and asked him for the love of St. Peter to condescend to come with all speed to their help. As soon as he had conquered his enemies, he came victoriously to Rome, and this was the song of praise with which the citizens received him. The fellow-citizens of the apostles and the servants of God have come today bringing peace and making their native land glorious to give peace to the heathen and to set free the people of the Lord. Many people ignorant of the meaning and origin of this song have been accustomed to sing it on the birthdays of the apostles. Pippin feared the envy of the people of Rome or, more truly, of Constantinople and soon returned to Frankland. When he found that the nobles of his army were accustomed in secret to speak contemptuously of him, he ordered one day a huge and ferocious bull to be brought out, and then a savage lion to be let loose upon him. The lion rushed with tremendous fury on the bull, seized him by the neck, and cast him on the ground. Then the king said to those who stood round him, Now, drag off the lion from the bull or kill the one on top of the other they looked on one another with a chill at their hearts and could hardly utter these words amidst their sobs lord what man is there under heaven who dare attempt it then pippin rose confidently from his throne drew his sword and at one blow cut through the neck of the lion and severed the head of the bull from his shoulders Then he put back his sword into its sheath, and sat again upon his throne, and said, "'Well, do you think I am fit to be your lord? Have you not heard what the little David did to the giant Goliath, or what the child Alexander did to his nobles?' They fell to the ground, as though a thunderbolt had struck them, and cried, "'Who but a madman would deny your right to rule over all mankind?' "'Not only was his courage shown against beasts and men, "'but he also fought an incredible contest against evil spirits. "'The hot baths at X had not yet been built, "'but hot and healing waters bubbled from the ground. "'He ordered his chamberlain to see that the water was clean "'and that no unknown person was allowed to enter into them. "'This was done, and the king took his sword,' and, dressed only in linen gown and slippers, hurried off to the bath. When, lo, the old enemy met him, and attacked him as though he would slay him. But the king, strengthened with the sign of the cross, made bare his sword, and, noticing a shape in human form, struck his unconquerable sword, through it into the ground so far that he could only drag it out again after a long struggle but the shape was so far material that it denied all those waters with blood and gore and horrid slime. But even this did not upset the unconquerable Pippin. He said to his chamberlain, Do not mind this little affair. Let the defiled water run for a while, and then when it flows clear again I will take my bath without delay. I had intended, most noble Emperor, to weave my little narrative only round your great-grandfather Charles, all of whose deeds you know well. But since the occasion arose which made it necessary to mention your most glorious father Louis, called the illustrious, and your most religious grandfather Louis, called the pious, and your most warlike great-great-grandfather Pippin the Younger, I thought it would be wrong to pass over their deeds in silence for the sloth of modern writers has left them almost untold. There is no need to speak of the elder Pippin, for the most learned Bede in his ecclesiastical history has devoted nearly a whole volume to him. But now that I have recounted all these things by way of digression, I must swim, swan-like, back to your illustrious namesake Charles.' But, if I do not curtail somewhat his feats in war, I shall never come to consider his daily habits of life. Now I will give with all possible brevity the incidents that occur to me. When, after the death of the ever-victorious Pippin, the Lombards were again attacking Rome, the unconquered Charles, though he was fully occupied with business to the north of the Alps, marched swiftly into Italy he received the lombards into his service after they had been humbled in a war that was almost bloodless or one might say after they had surrendered of their own free will and to prevent them from ever again revolting from the frankish kingdom or doing any injury to the territories of st peter he married the daughter of desiderius chief of the lombards but no long time afterwards because she was an invalid and little likely to give issue to Charles, she was, by the counsel of the holiest of the clergy, put aside, even as though she were dead. Whereupon her father in wrath bound his subjects to him by oath, and, shutting himself up within the walls of Pavia, he prepared to give battle to the invincible Charles, who, when he had received certain news of the revolt, hurried to Italy with all speed, now it happened that some years before one of the first nobles called otger had incurred the wrath of the most terrible emperor and had fled for refuge to desiderius when the near approach of the dreaded charles was known these two went up into a very high tower from which they could see any one approaching at a very great distance when therefore the baggage wagons appeared which moved more swiftly than those used by Darius or Julius, Desiderius said to Otger, Is Charles in that vast army? And Otger answered, Not yet. Then, when he saw the vast force of the nations gathered together from all parts of his empire, he said with confidence to Otger, Surely Charles moves in pride among those forces. But Otger answered, Not yet, not yet. "'Then Desiderius fell into a great alarm and said, "'What shall we do if a yet greater force comes with him?' "'And Otker said, "'You will see what he is like when he comes. "'What will happen to us? "'I cannot say.' "'And behold, while they were thus talking, "'there came in sight Charles's personal attendants, "'who never rested from their labours, "'and Desiderius saw them and cried in amazement, "'There is Charles!' And Otker answered, Not yet, not yet. Then they saw the bishops and the abbots and the clerks of his chapel with their attendants. When he saw them, he hated the light and longed for death and sobbed and stammered, Let us go down to hide ourselves in the earth from the face of an enemy so terrible. And Otker answered, trembling. For once in happier days he had thorough and constant knowledge of the policy and preparations of the unconquerable Charles. When you see an iron harvest bristling in the fields, and the Poe and the Ticino pouring against the walls of the city like the waves of the sea, gleaming black with the glint of iron, then know that Charles is at hand hardly were these words finished when there came from the west a black cloud which turned the bright day to horrid gloom but as the emperor drew nearer the gleam of the arms turned the darkness into day a day darker than any night to that beleaguered garrison then could be seen the iron charles helmeted with an iron helmet his hands clad in iron gauntlets his iron breast and broad shoulders protected with an iron breastplate an iron spear was raised on high in his left hand his right always rested on his unconquered iron falchion the thighs which with most men are uncovered that they may the more easily ride on horseback were in his case clad with plates of iron I need make no special mention of his greaves, for the greaves of all the army were of iron. His shield was all of iron, his charger was iron-colored and iron-hearted. All who went before him, all who marched by his side, all who followed after him, and the whole equipment of the army imitated him as closely as possible the fields and open places were filled with iron the rays of the sun were thrown back by the gleam of iron a people harder than iron paid universal honor to the hardness of iron the horror of the dungeon seemed less than the bright gleam of iron oh the iron woe for the iron was the confused cry that rose from the citizens the strong walls shook at the sight of the iron The resolution of young and old fell before the iron. Now when the truthful Otker saw in one swift glance all this, which I, with stammering tongue and the voice of a child, have been clumsily explaining with rambling words, he said to Desiderius, There is the Charles that you so much desired to see. And when he had said this, he fell to the ground half dead. But as the inhabitants of the city, either through madness or because they entertained some hope of resistance, refused to let Charles enter on that day, the most inventive emperor said to his men, "'Let us build to-day some memorial so that we may not be charged with passing the day in idleness. Let us make haste to build for ourselves a little house of prayer, where we may give due attention to the service of God.' if they do not soon throw open the city to us no sooner had he said it than his men flew off in every direction collected lime and stones wood and paint and brought them to the skilled workmen who always accompanied him and between the fourth hour of the day and the twelfth they built with the help of the young nobles and the soldiers, such a cathedral, so provided with walls and roofs, with fretted ceilings and frescoes, that none who saw it could believe that it had taken less than a year to build. But how on the next day some of the citizens wanted to throw open the gate, and some wanted to fight against him, even without hope of victory, or rather to fortify themselves against him, and how easily he conquered, took, and occupy the city without the shedding of blood, and merely by the exercise of skill? All this I must leave others to tell, who follow your Highness not for love, but in the hope of gain. Then the most religious Charles marched on, and came to the city of Friuli, which the pedants call Forum Iuli, Now, it happened just at this time that the bishop of that city, or, to use a modern word, the patriarch, was drawing near to the end of his life. Charles made haste to visit him, in order that he might designate his successor by name. But the bishop, with remarkable piety, sighed from the bottom of his heart and said, Sir, I have held this bishopric for a long time without any use or profit and now I leave it to the judgment of God and your disposal. For I do not wish, at the point of death, to add anything to the mountain of sin that I have heaped together during my life, for which I shall have to make answer to the inevitable and incorruptible judge. The most wise Charles was so pleased with these words that he rightly thought him the equal in virtue of the ancient fathers. End of section 8